Hello, movie lovers. I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. Yes, hello. Each episode, we'll t- talk about our week in review, move on to a the main event, which is usually a main review, or about a particular topic, and then finish each episode with film faves. Our list of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often marching back through time. Ooh, ooh, this time it's going to be 2010. That's right, we're going to look at the first year of the new decade. And our main event will be a review of War for the Planet of the Apes. But first of all... Let's talk about our week in review. Shanna, would you like to start with your week? Yes. This week I didn't really have enough time to watch a movie by myself. However, I'm slowly but surely whittling away at the Rizzoli and Owls TV show, which is available for streaming on Hulu. All the seasons are there. I believe there's about seven seasons, so it's totally worth it to go and check that out. Now, this is a show... That's based on the book series by Tess Gerritsen, also named Rosalie and Isles. It's about a relationship between a chief examiner, full of style, grace, sophistication, and she is paired with the detective, who has a lot of savvy street smartness about her. She's confident, she's outspoken. Both of these women bring a really wonderful, contrasting strengths to the relationship. Now, if you're a fan of the book series, um, this might sometimes be a little hard to get through because there's certain episodes that do reference the books and then there's some episodes or some themes that don't carry through with the show. Um, Something fun to note is that Jane Rizzoli is played by Sasha Alexandra who was in Law and & Order, and Isles, Maura Isles, is played by Angie Harmon, who was in the first three seasons of NCIS. I remember when you uh, started watching the, the series with me around, you were a little perturbed about some of the changes from the book series. Too. Now, the family, Jane's family, is much more, is much different in the books. Mm-hmm. But I get that things have to be changed for television, and that's what they did here. It was a necessary change, you feel like, in order to adapt for the TV series? Yeah, but mm. at the same time, I'm like, but I really like this one book, and now everything is not going to happen for that particular book. Mm. So, sometimes yeah. it's hard to get through. I'm not a big fan of procedural you know cop procedural tv shows i find them usually pretty formulaic and um generally when it gets right down to it all about the same plus i can't stand watching people dying you know uh every single hour Mm -hmm. uh and and also one of the things i find with these shows is typically it's always a woman that's a victim so I have a hard this time watching that. But I enjoy Rizzoli and Isles, too, uh, though, because 
it focuses it seems to focus more on the relationships of the the main characters rather than the crimes and the violence of the show yes that is one of the reasons i like it too and i'm waiting for something particular to happen and i i might have spoiled it for myself i won't say anything for anyone else but so far my favorite seasons are one and two and we'll just see what happens with the rest how many seasons have you seen straight through um i believe i'm nearly done with season four Okay, so you're almost halfway through the series then. Excellent. Yes. Anything else? No. What about you? Well, I have a few things. I'm going to try to go through them quickly. First of all, I forgot to mention in the last episode, I went and saw 47 Meters Down, the new film starring Mandy Moore who is now famous for This Is Us and has been famous for other things in the past. So this is about two friends, actually they're two sisters, I apologize, who go on a vacation and against the better judgment of the older sister played by Mandy Moore, they decide to go take this expedition that these two guys, cute guys they met, oh, recommend they take where they get to go in a cage and essentially swim with the sharks. So the moral of the story is don't get in a cage for two cute guys. Well, that's not actually the, the <laughs> problem of the movie. Uh, the problem of the movie I will say it's also one of those flaws, which is it is another one of those movies where all signs point to, like, abort, abort the mission. <laughs> you know, like, there are a series of things that are like, yeah, no, this is not a safe idea. You know, uh, maybe, you know, the, the cage is rusty or, you know, a series of other things. Oh, my you God. Know? Whatever it might be. So it's not that they're, they end up being with two dangerous guys or anything like that. But... Yeah, anyway, so I was a fan of The Shallows from last year. I thought it was very thrilling. It was not uh, by the numbers, really intellectually insulting uh, movie. And I thought it was carried by a really strong performance by its main character, played by Blake Lively. And I was just looking for the same thing here with 47 Meters Down. And it isn't as good as The Shallows, mostly because it follows some of the same tropes as you've seen in a lot of other movies before, where there's a series of red flags, this is not a good idea, movie should end, 20 minutes end to the movie, <laughs> you know, they should just turn around and do something else. And, you know, you also have the the friend character, in this case it's a sister, who, you know, just keeps begging, come on, let's do it, that sort of thing. You know, we've seen that kind of character model. Uh, yeah, no in, one likes that person in real life. Yeah, and no one, at this point, I don't think anybody really likes that character in movies either. It's a, it's a formula. So those two issues aside, for the most part, I think the film works. It's fine. It's not great. But it's better than a lot of other movies out there. And, and, and you know, it's servi- it's serviceable. And there's so, nothing I could say bad about me anymore. Do you prefer The Shallows or 47 Meters? Oh, definitely The Shallows. I would say Shallows is a few notches down from Jaws. And 47 Meters down is a couple notches down from The Shallows. Mm. 
so I, I think I reviewed it on the Facebook page and I gave it like a 6 out of 10. Where do you place Jaws in this shark themed? Well, it, it's, I mean, I, there's not a single movie um, better than Jaws, you know, in this subgenre of <laughs> man versus nature, you know? Okay. So anyway, so that's 47 yes. meters down. I want to move on. Uh, I also saw a movie called Southside with You which came out last year and unfairly it kind of got labeled as the obama movie it's this indie you film watched that without me oh you suck oh i'm ever so pissed right now <laughs> well I gotta watch something when you're working. I can't believe you watched that without me. Well, the list gets very small. I'm sure all I'm... the movie lovers out there right now are like, ooh, you got fucked up. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure you, you you can understand the list is very small of what I can and can't watch without. Anyway, it's on our, my list on, on Netflix. I didn't even know you were actually that interested in this, but. Of course I was. If I could just explain what it is. No, I don't think so. Yes, you can. Hurry up. <laughs> so, essentially, what this movie is, is about the first date between uh, Michelle Robinson and Barack Obama. I recommend anybody who likes the walking and talking relationship date movies like the Before Trilogy, check this out. No matter what your politics are, just put aside... The notion that this is uh, that the two characters are the Obamas, and just appreciate it for what it is. I think that a lot of people who um, are not fans of the Obamas in the first place would be able to find enjoyment in the movie in that way. It also does have that extra layer for people who are not. Uh, fire and brimstone against the Obamas uh, where you're able to appreciate how much the actor who plays Barack Obama has some of his mannerisms down you know some people may know that he was actually a smoker back then so there's a lot of these what? yeah so there's a, a lot of these details that are in the film it's a quiet little indie film just 90 minutes long I think uh, and definitely worth worth your time. It's not a great film. It doesn't really live up to like something like the Before a Trilogy, but it's worth checking out. So that's Southside with You, which is available on Netflix streaming. And lastly, for my week in review, I have Happy Endings, which I've mentioned before. And I finally finished it. There are three seasons available on Hulu. And I watched the finale a couple days ago, and it is very clear they did not know they were going to be canceled until like when that happens until the summer hiatus or something, because this thing just cuts off pretty much. And the the season series finale that became the season finale introduces a new character. It turns out there's an older Kirkovich sister. Jane is actually the middle sister, and her constant drive to be successful and the best at everything is actually influenced 
by an older sister who she always thought she didn't live up to. And, you know, the reason why this character is introduced is she's getting married, and so everybody goes to this wedding. And, of course, antics and silliness ensue. But it does. It just ends with the wedding party, the reception or whatever, and them dancing. That's not a resolution. It's not an ending for the show at all. So it feels kind of... Well, I feel like it's rude for fans, too. I feel like it's the worst thing a studio can do. Generally, yeah. And I I, I will say, like, this was a series I, I liked, but I did not love. There was enough in the show that um, I either didn't find very funny or find, found mildly annoying that kept me from falling completely in love with it like i did friends or something like that you know but it was it was a good uh, it was a good series i think the women in it were the funniest of all of them especially eliza coop who played jane kirkovich and alicia cuthbert who played i think her name was kate kirkovich so you know I hope to see these women again in comedic roles in the future, but yeah, uh, a little underwhelming, the end of Happy Endings. Enjoy the first two seasons, especially. That actually concludes my week in review, but we actually had a fairly decent week ourselves for once, huh? We watched stuff together. It was great. Yeah. So let's start with... The Wonder Woman TV series. Oh, that was fun. So much sexism, but still fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I grew up with the Wonder Woman TV series. Of course, it was a perfect thing for someone who hit puberty to watch. But oh, also, thank you. well, there's every boy has that of a, of a certain generation. But I also, I remember enjoying the show too, though, you know, because... Back then, you know, superhero entertainment didn't really necessarily have high high standards. You know, I suppose yeah. Just seeing a superhero TV show was exciting enough. You know, and whatever happened where it showed the superhero doing things was cool enough. And in this case, Wonder Woman was pretty much the only female superhero TV show, so that was pretty cool. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on it because for me watching it now as an adult especially with where the standards are these days it was on the one hand like really kind of cool as a symbol and a symbol of progress and, and and something for women to be able to look up to on the other hand like man it's so cheesy like and like the fights are just so bad and it doesn't make sense because wonder woman's supposed to be like this superhero this strong woman and she she gets like she's actually an even match for a really bad judo master and and like a countess or something she gets knocked out with a chemical and i'm like oh yeah yeah yeah. she did not right yeah (laughs) maybe she's just playing them oh no wait they really made her get knocked out yeah, it's like they couldn't have her be... Too strong, or too smart, or too invulnerable. 
Yeah, because then they would have issues with their stories. <laughs> you know, everything would be resolved too easily. But I don't, I don't think so. I mean, they could have done something interesting, at least for the first season. They could have just had all the bad guys are human and she's still trying to figure out how humans work. I mean, yeah. you know, something. Yeah. Other than weakening her. Yeah. So to clarify, we didn't watch the whole series. We just watched the pilot, which was like two hours long, I think, or 90 minutes. And then we watched two or three more episodes after that. But go ahead and share your thoughts on the show. Yes. Um, I feel like it's of a very particular time. I feel like there are so many things that could have been so much better. I feel like the, the mother character... Played by Cloris Leachman, which was interesting. I feel like what they did with the way she portrayed the mother was very of that time where, oh, we're going to dress them in floaty, frilly, lingerie type things. This is all the Amazons, actually. Yeah. In pink. I'm pretty sure Mm. no Amazon in their God-given mind would ever want to wear pink. Well, they're definitely leaning on this idea of what Greeks were like and what Greeks would wear, and leaning on the idea of the Amazons being heavily Greek Greek influenced. The baby doll lingerie outfit. I know. It's also very seventies too. Like not even a little bit. Nineteen seventy-four. Let's remember. But what what I'm trying to say is, with the mother, they have her acting in a very particular way where she's floaty and flips her hands up and down and oh I don't know and oh blah 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 and her hands are just her hands drive me crazy it's showing a very particular kind of acting and very weak mm. character actually which... I, I, I'm surprised you say that because I think there are moments where it's just her and Diana and there is, like, some strength there. She's not completely airy-fairy. Like, oh, like uh, maybe one of the, the characters from Monty Python and the Holy Grail in the, in the castle or anything like that. Uh, there, is some, there is some solemnity and some strength to her in, in moments. You know, I just felt like that was a very important character that should have had all the strength. Because that's where Wonder Woman comes from. And by giving her those acting techniques, they could have given her something else. I'm looking forward to finishing the series because I really want to give it a really good ch- a really good chance. Well, I don't think we'll watch the entire series. There's three seasons, and we have the first season, which is the only one that takes place in the 1940s during World War II. Ah, yes, I meant just the first season. Gotcha. I, wanna, I mean, unless I like want to find it and go for it it's very easy to find right now but i do not know that i can even get through the first series season but we'll see we'll see um anyway we also we also watched pieces of april okay yes i showed shanna pieces of april we got a copy from half price books this was a a movie that was probably my favorite thanksgiving movie and I really had a hard time finding it before. It's not ever available on a streaming service, let's say. But Is it available for rent, though? It probably is, but back then, prior to now, we weren't really interested in renting online that I much. I highly so. recommend renting this. 
Yeah, so this is a film that stars Oliver Platt, Katie Holmes, Allison Pill, and Patricia Richardson, among other recognizable faces you'll notice. And Katie Holmes plays an estranged daughter to Oliver Platt and Patricia Richardson, who's trying to host Thanksgiving for her family, who's on their way through a long road trip to her apartment in New York City. Uh, and they're all pretty much all pretty negative about the prospects of of this event because again Katie Holmes character has been estranged through a series of poor choices apparently and just really making life difficult for the family you know she got involved in drugs in the past and poor characters and stuff but you know, I, I really love this movie because, and one of the reasons is because you see with Katie Holmes' character, she's really, you get the sense that, you know, she just recently started turning her life around and maybe she wants to show that off to her family, you know. There's another event that is kind of instigating this union that you learn slowly during the course of the film. That's another really great reason I love the film because it slowly reveals itself to you. I thought it was obvious, but that's just me. Well, what I mean is it doesn't come right out immediately and tell you this is the way things are right now. And this is why we're doing this. And there you go. I have laid the groundwork. And this is why. Yeah, it doesn't spell it out. Yeah, right? Yeah. It, it just slowly reveals things through little bits of information or little things that are said here and there. I think I'm just really good at filling in the gaps. Yeah, you are. And you're quite proud of yourself when you do I am. <laughs> it's, my ego gets to shine in that. <laughs> So, and also the relationship dynamics in the movie are really interesting. Alison Pill, in a very early role, she plays a youngest child, I think. I think she might be middle. the youngest. She is the middle one? Okay. That's a middle child. I couldn't quite tell where the brother fell in with this. That's a young child. You wouldn't know this because you are a younger of two kids. Well, thank you very much. But I can tell the sibling dynamics right so the thing is she she's very judgmental she's kind of trying to appease the mom all the time and say what she thinks her mom uh, is thinking uh, probably the most annoying character of the, of the whole thing oliver platt is great as this father figure who's just trying to hold the family together and try to hold this day together and yet he he loves every single one of the members of the family even though they have these really grating flaws um that can be very hard to deal with when they rear their heads tell me a little bit about what you thought of the film being your first time seeing it. Well, now I just got a little emotional, actually. Thinking It'll do of, that to Thinking you, of yeah. one or two of the parts of yeah. the film. Everything in this film is relatable. Um, if you're above the age of, I'd say, 19, 20, mm-hmm. you can probably relate to all of this. Mm. Uh, whether you did drugs or not, whether you moved to New York or not, you can relate to 
the dynamics. At least that one of the characters, anyway, you could see yourself in. Well, and I feel like, you know, it's called Pieces of April. I feel yeah. like all these dynamics are pieces of what you as a person would go through mm. if you were part of a family or trying to be part of a family or trying to pull away from a family. I just feel like it hits so many things. Yeah. And amongst all this seriousness and all this stress that does happen on a, a holiday like Thanksgiving, I think it's a really great setting. I'm really glad there's a Thanksgiving movie, family drama. Mm. You know, you mention it as a really good family drama, holiday family drama. And, you know, there's a couple other Thanksgiving movies out there, like Home for the Holidays, directed by Jodie Foster, starring Holly Hunter and Robert Downey Jr., and and uh, a couple others out there that just slipped my mind. And none of them really were nearly as memorable to me as Pieces of April was. Well, I feel like this is real. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, every human has moments where, you know, you're feeling not yourself and you snap at someone mm-hmm. or you snap at someone every hour in a day. Mm-hmm. Everybody has the ability to relate to, okay, I fucked up in my life, but I want to fix it and I want to fix my family. I want to fix my relationship with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody can relate to wanting to impress your significant other's family member, family members. Mm-hmm. So I really recommend this film. And there's really fun parts too amongst the drama where I just couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it yeah. for people, but there are there is Just some know that funny... there's a sprinkling of that. Yeah, in the film. So this is, uh, again, Pieces of April from 2003. By the way, it's from the the creator of What's Eating Gilbert Grape for fans of that Johnny Depp, Leo DiCaprio film. Uh, and you can rent this film not on Amazon, but on iTunes and a few other platforms. Oh, Voodoo. Remember I was speaking about Voodoo last episode. That's true. So we watched... Uh, one last film together. I showed Shanna Dick Tracy from 1990, which was a little bit of a pet project of Warren Beatty's at the time. And it's clear he pulled out all the stops because this film stars practically everybody. You got Al Pacino, <laughs> Glenn Headley, who recently passed. This is an early role for her as Tess Trueheart. You got Madonna. You got Dustin Hoffman. Oh, Kathy Bates. He was my favorite. As Mumbles, yeah. Kathy Bates has a bit part. A lot of people have bit parts. If you watch carefully, you'll see Catherine O'Hara, the guy who whose name escapes me, but he played per, uh, Principal Strickland in Back to the Future series. Oh, yeah. He's in it as an accountant. <laughs> His name is Numbers. There's so many actors. And then you got you got Danny Elfman doing the score, fresh off of Batman. You got Stephen Sondheim doing the songs that Madonna sings. And, yeah, he pulled out all the stops. So tell us, what did you think of Dick Tracy? I was really not wanting to ever watch this. I don't know. It was really? just... If you bring too much hype about a movie to yeah. me, 
and I've never had the opportunity to even glimpse at a trailer for it. Mm-hmm. Never mind watch a piece of it. Mm-hmm. It it's too much pressure for me, mm. and I'm. I like feel that if I don't like it, you're just going to be absolutely heartbroken. Mm. So most of the time when there's that kind of happiness around a film <laughs> from you, I'm like, oh no, I don't want to watch it. This is too much, just too much pressure for me. Gotcha. But I really thoroughly enjoyed all the set designs, mm-hmm. all the costume design, all the makeup, mm-hmm. how all the colors were coming together. Like, I wish it was more appropriate. Like, a three-year-old could watch it and it would be amazing because of all the color stimulation. Right. Um, so much green, so much red. Yeah, she's not saying that it is appropriate for a three-year-old because no. there's, you know, it actually is about gangsters and the Tommy yeah, guns the and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, um, and I enjoy mob movies. They're kind of one of my favorite crime genres. Yeah, for those who aren't familiar, this is like, if Scarface were like the the primary color comic strip, you know, if there's a primary color comic strip version <laughs> of Scarface or something like that, and it's about the a detective taking down Scarface, you know, it's kind of like that. It's not, it's not, it's not excessively violent, but it does have violence. You know, the gang mobs are are killing each other, mob members. Other people do get shot but there's no blood let's say there's a couple things in this film that i don't feel is even appropriate for like 10 year olds Mm. the the way madonna's character Uh is is really not what i want my children watching breathless mahoney yep i really don't need them being influenced by that that was an eye-opener when i was 10 That's for sure, yes. We're just talking about all your pubescent There's, experiences. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Jeez. No, but there is like that particular scene where she sees him alone in his office. There's there's a moment where she goes onto the desk and yeah. It this is walks like that if line. Jessica Rabbit were didn't real? have a husband. Oh, if Jessica Rabbit were not a cartoon. <laughs> and didn't have a husband. Right. But Jessica Rabbit had a husband. Yeah. So just the desperateness of that character and the look I get she's like the damsel but I'm so sick of that crap Mm, is she though she's more like the the temptress so to speak who's kind of in the middle of everybody and kind of out for her own thing um but anyway I felt like that was a little uh but i really like dick tracy and his significant others Mm -hmm. relationship i felt like yes i want my child to see that and the kid but if we could yeah and if we could just ignore madonna that would be great (laughs) did you think that she that madonna herself gave a bad performance no i think madonna's a good actress i Mm. feel like she can do anything i feel like I feel that way about Lady Gaga, you know. Mm. I feel like they're similar and super talented women. Mm. I just, I don't like that kind of character. Yeah. I feel like in general, Madonna's performances are very hit and miss. But I actually thought she was, this was one of her hits, performance Well, and this is a very particular time frame film where there's not a lot of women in this film. There's like three women in this yeah. film. Yeah. And the rest are men. Well, and there's I mean, a ton of men you do in this have, film. Yeah, unfortunately, like, uh, while the film is a little crowded, so it's really hard to f- 
flesh anybody out. There is one mob boss who is a woman that you see in a in a sort of boardroom scene, uh, and I think that actually is the one that Catherine O'Hara played. Again, you have to like you blink and you'll miss it, sort of thing. Mm. But yeah, you know that's fair. But very like stimulating. Our son yeah. wants to do some set design stuff, and mm-hmm. we have him signed up for a set design camp, and. I was just saying that, oh, this is perfect if you're, you know, a person who is just in love with theater and design um, in general. You can see a lot of beauty in this film. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, watching it as an adult now, having a lot of distance from the film, it doesn't go for realism in a set design. It's going for a particular look. It's almost like it's trying to bring what was the comic strip oh, yeah. sketches to life, uh, but everything looks like a fake set. A fake set so and I really like that. I thought yeah. it... This I think is it's a purposeful. Film, yeah, this is a film you could do that with. What, what might be fun to watch from a visual um, marathon perspective is... Um, like Dick Tracy and then Sin City and oh, <laughs> compare, that's you know, those different sets. Mm. Um, well, especially since Sin City was all green screen in its set. Speaking of which, that was one of the only other flaws I saw in this movie, aside from the Blink's plan being a little unclear. But uh, there was actually a couple shots where it looked like there was green screen effect that wasn't completed, like through a car window. Or something like that. Oh, um, uh, yeah, this is kind of early digital. Uh, well, it's 1990, and I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know ab- about that. I mean, green screen effects was happening and being used for years before this. But I kind of felt like, unless I'm completely wrong, and I, I've yet to um, have the time to read up on the movie since we watched it the other night. But, like, there, I swear there's a couple shots where if you look in the background through the car window, you'll see it's actually green in the background or something. Well, and there is a lot of green happening in this film. Yeah, but I mean, like, in a fake production oh, okay. sort of thing. Um, so, anyway, that's, that's Dick Tracy, which is now on Blu-ray, unfortunately, without a lick of feature, special features. Not even a trailer. Uh, but it looks Man, really I would good. have loved behind the scenes of the set with that. Oh, there's so many things that would be great. How about a commentary by Warren Beatty on this entire mm-hmm. production? That would have been amazing. I do recommend this film. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, that is our week in review. Let's move to the main feature. Now it's time for our main event in our review of War. Of the planet of the apes.
led to this moment. The irony is we created you. And nature has been punishing us ever since. This is our last stand. will be a planet of apes. That's from the trailer of War for the Planet of the Apes. Now, what we do when we decide to have a main review is we like to first talk a little bit about what we liked about a movie, what was good about a movie. Then move on to what was bad about a movie and that segues into general discussion and finally spoilers and final thoughts so first of all though i just want to talk a little bit just really briefly about this whole project this trilogy of planet of the apes films shannon before you know, before you saw Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and then Rise of the Planet of the Apes, yes, she has watched them out of order. Did you see any of the Planet of the Apes movies before? No, I didn't. Okay, so this was your exposure. And you still haven't seen the original Planet of the Apes, is that correct? No, we watched that together. Okay, so you have seen that. Yes. Oh, wait, I did see the end of the crappy one. Okay, the Tim Burton yeah. remake of it. Yes, which proved that sometimes you really shouldn't remake a classic film. So, when this film, when this whole project was first announced almost a decade ago, it sounded like a terrible idea. Prequel to a 30, 40 year old film. Why do it? It felt, it just screamed Hollywood, you know, exploitation of of people's uh, recognition of a, a franchise, right? But Rise of the Planet of the Apes came out and was surprisingly good. And then Dawn of the Planet of the Apes came out and it was even better. And That's the, like my favorite one. I think it's the best. Yeah. And I still think it's the best, but we'll get into that a little bit. First of all, Shanna, what did you think was good about War for the Planet of the Apes? I feel like the best part of this is Andy Serkis. Always. His performance was something that needs to change the way Oscar nominations for Best Actor happens. Sure. His emotion came through. His expressions came through. Mm -hmm. His heart came through. I think that's that's always the case, absolutely, ever since Gollum. He was the character, he was Caesar, and at the same time he was Andy, if that makes any sense. He mm. was a person being an ape, and an ape trying to be a person. Mm. So I feel like, you know, without Andy Circus, I wouldn't watch this, I wouldn't be as in love with this trilogy as I actually am. He definitely is the anchor of course, and absolutely, yes. What, what else did you think was good about the film? I think, you know, I don't know why I had this in my mind, but I thought, oh, we're going to go watch, 
you know, the end of this trilogy. It's going to be relaxing. We're going to go to the movies. And it wasn't relaxing at all. I was so stressed out. Mm. And it's because it was a war movie. Mm. That's why I was so stressed out. Because that's why I don't watch war movies. It just stresses me out. Mm. But I felt like the way they depicted war was very well done. They didn't hold back. They kept wounds going. They kept loss. They kept emotional drainage, Mm. um, physical drainage, the risk of losing your entire tribe very well, Mm. showing the pain and the suffering. It It wasn't like a dark film, but it definitely... It wasn't a light it film. It wasn't a either, light but film. Although so. it had it had light moments thanks to Steve Zahn's Bad Ape, which is a new character in the in the films. Yeah, I just I really enjoyed seeing the old characters again and I enjoyed the new characters. Mm-hmm. I've always had a fondness for the characters since the beginning of this trilogy. Mm. I knew that Bad Ape was an ape even though he looked so human, I felt like, but I really loved him. I, I loved oh, how subtle. Oh, you're talking about when he first shows up on yeah, the screen. Yeah, and you're not sure. Okay, I'm like, well, clearly he's an ape. He's got big ears. He's he looks like an ape. But you're talking about before he's yes, revealed. Yeah, yes. Okay. Um. So I really liked his character, and I loved how subtle he was. Mm. And it was really funny when he was like. No, no touch. This is mine. <laughs> right, right, with the girl. <laughs> That's how I want to talk to the kids now. <laughs> right, no, no yeah. touch. This is mine. And I really loved how everything came full circle with the end of this movie. Everything made sense to me, at least. Okay. And I really enjoyed that. Okay. What did? What were your good thoughts? Well, at this point, I feel like the quality of visual effects in the series with the mocap performances kind of go without saying. It's almost at this point where it's it's expected. It's it's really the question is really more about how good is the story mm. and how good are the characters the and performances it's a, it's right? a good story and disagree well I'll I'll, I'll 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 get into some of my my thoughts about what was bad in a little bit here but first what uh what i liked about it was i liked i like some of the new characters there's a girl that's introduced that she doesn't have a lot to do necessarily but she oh i strongly disagree but we can talk about that in spoilers I don't necessarily think she has a lot to do in the film, but she's she's a child who does all of what she does do without speaking, and that's pretty good. I, th- I would venture to guess that this actress is around 10 to 12 years old, So, and this is her first film, and so she was pretty good. Steve Zahn's Bad Ape was definitely <laughs> i think he he was a needed comic relief element that comes in about halfway through the film yeah and he's not a cheap comic relief element he's he's a pretty good character in his own way yeah 
The story definitely furthers the characters that we've seen since the beginning and their journey and their story, and it does that well. And having seen the original film since years before all this began, I feel like the one job this film had was to get us to that movie in a way. And it does that in uh, ways that are satisfying and ways that are more than satisfying. And it has a very moving ending. Yeah. Caesar's story comes to an end, so to speak. And that is very moving, coming to care about this character. And where he ends up is is pretty satisfying. You know, he he's not a character who's unaffected by past events. Past events do have an effect on this story. And he is wrestling with some of those. And I think that that's one of the strengths of the film. Without getting too detailed... Well, kind of being vague about things. I don't know. I'm stressing out. I keep feeling like you're talking about spoilers, even I'm, though I'm you haven't seen it. I'm dancing around. I'm dancing around it. Okay. So I think those, off the top of my head, are a lot of the things I enjoyed. What was there? Anything that you, any flaws in the film? Anything you didn't like? I felt like the visual effects at the end. Um. Their lighting was just a little off. I know what they were trying to achieve. They were trying to mimic. Mm. I feel like they were trying to mimic lighting and enhance it a bit. That is similar of Space Odyssey. Mm. So I get where they're coming from with this, you know, this new light mm-hmm. or light of an ending of an era. And mm. I get that, but I feel like they just needed to have lighting technicality. They just needed a little bit more. Hmm. It really irritated me that I couldn't see as much as I wanted to see. Interesting. I didn't have that issue. Was there anything else? I can't think of anything else right now. So for me, I feel like this movie just falls short of the greatness that was its predecessor, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which I think is one of the best sequels ever made i mean easily Mm. would make a list of the top 50 sequels ever made right Mm. but i feel like this film just falls a little short of that because to speak in general terms there's a lot that happens in this movie that requires guards and other soldiers to be really shitty at their jobs and not pay be paying attention. That's the kind of thing where, you know, like you might be able to forgive one moment like that, but it felt like there were a handful of moments like that in the movie where like characters are trying to do a thing. They have to do a specific task or get from one place to another. And the way they're shown doing it, you can't believe they're not caught doing these things. And that started to kind of bug me a little bit. 
that's probably my biggest issue in the movie. Aside from that, I think Woody Harrelson gives a really good performance in the mm. film. He's he is actually one of the good things about the film, but I think his character and I don't want to I don't want to go into detail about his character and his motivations because I think that kind of starts to get into too much depth that actually helps bridge this film to the original but I feel like his character is not as well written as villains of the of the previous movies mm, I agree I feel like the villain and even the humans in general in the last film. Mm. It was a very, very good balance. Everybody was yeah. written very well. Yeah, that's true. And there are, to be fair, there aren't very many human characters in this movie. There's, in terms of significant characters or even supporting characters, there's, you could probably count them all on one hand. I think Harrelson is definitely the most significant of them. And he's better written than the, the other couple but i wasn't 100 percent sold on this character like i was koba or even gary oldman's oh, yeah. misguided character i thought gary oldman was really well written so was koba mm-hmm. in the previous film right right uh so or even i can't remember the actor who played him at this point uh, maybe it was david oll from Rise of the Planet of the Apes, I feel like even he was a little bit better than Woody Harrelson's character in this one. So those things, while the overall film is very strong and probably one of the best films you'll see this summer, those things just made the film short of going from being a really good film to being a great film. That closes out. And then actually, oddly enough, my mind kept thinking of Dark Knight Rises in terms of... Like, oh, that's this a good big, comparison. This, yeah, this big trilogy that, you know, you have this final film that's supposed to close everything out, and it just kind of falls short. I feel like Dark Knight Rises is, is a bigger disappointment than this yeah. film in hindsight. Um, I wouldn't call this film a disappointment, but it doesn't live up to dawn of the planet of the apes to me what do you think i agree it's not my favorite and that's not just because it's war and there's death everywhere Mm -hmm. but i feel like number two was just so perfect it's very tightly written too it's very well written i also know that when you have a project this big Mm -hmm. And the material isn't already there. Like, you know, something like Lord of the Rings, all the material's there. Sure. You're, you're good to go. If you mess it up, it's, it's, you're stupid. <laughs> um, and this is new material. Yeah. And I feel More like, you know, maybe we're missing something. I always want to see uncut versions mm. to see if we missed something. Mm. I don't feel like it was horrible. No, no, certainly not. No, I, I had a... This is a really good film, and I had a good time with it. it. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to the director on KCRW's The Business, and he was talking about how when he l- jumped on to do Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, 
already they had used up a year out of their three-year timeline. Oh, yeah. Uh, because the previous director wasn't sure if he was going to do it. And so the new director, Matt Reeves, who previously did Cloverfield, uh, he had... That makes sense now to me. <laughs> he had two years to put this thing together. Whereas mm-hmm. in this film... There, the studio was like, so you did it in two years, can you do it again? He's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We're going to take our time, we're going to do it right. And he had more time, mm. he had three years, to develop this thing. And again, it's not that it's a mess, it's not that it's, it's a huge disappointment, but it is interesting that they had um, more time than before, and for some reason... When he had such a short timeline, and and he and it was his ideas for the movie for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes that got approved and got got developed, you know, that worked out better, just slightly better than when he had all the time he needed, you know, to be able to make sure everything's right. And to be fair, most of the time, most of the production time was. Uh, visual effects was post-production stuff but still well it's that kind of movie so i feel like that goes without saying yeah yeah so it sounds like we're both positive on the film just with especially on my end a few issues uh with it how would you sum up your feelings on the film before moving into spoilers i feel like i could compare it really well to the lord of the rings trilogy where there's just so much to finish up mm. in the third one. Mm. It's not nearly as long. It doesn't have no, as many not. endings. And it's not as droned out. I, I felt really good about it. Mm. And I also forgot to mention that I liked the music. The music really The score by tense. Michael Giacchino? Yeah. I forgot about that. I did not. You, you didn't? Why? I actually thought there were a few scenes where I wish... We just were watching the performances, and mm. there was no score. There's a particular scene between Woody Harrelson's character, his colonel, and Caesar, where there is a piano tinkling, and you learn the colonel's story and what's mm. motivating the colonel. And I really feel like while I was watching that, I was thinking, you know... This would be a lot stronger, a lot more effective if there wasn't the score trying to communicate a feeling to me. Usually, Michael Giacchino is a great composer, and I, there's countless scores he's done that are, that are fantastic and make him one of the best uh, composers right now. But I really feel like this one was trying a little too hard. Oh, okay. Well, shall we get into spoilers? Uh, yes, again, to wrap up, just general thoughts. If you haven't so if you haven't seen the movie, you can skip ahead to the film fave section based on the timestamps in the show notes. I just want to say this is one of the best movies you will find this summer. It's not perfect. It's not a great film. It's um, a great trilogy. But it though. is really good and it does absolutely. It, it does wrap up the trilogy satisfactorily. So with that, spoilers. What sort of thoughts uh, did you have that you couldn't convey before? 
is is everyone gone? I, I hope, hope so. Not, I hope you're not listening. So <laughs> You're still waiting for them to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I just I was so pissed that Caesar's wife and eldest son died. Oh really? I was just so mad. I was surprised. I was so furious. I did not expect that. However, the performance that Andy Circus gave for that when oh. he discovered that uh, Cornelius was still alive. Oh my god, it was so good. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I thought you were going to talk about like his initial reaction, his his face. And his, how he just glowers and in oh, the all colonel's of it direction. So fantastic! It's just like, oh shit, back away! Yeah. <laughs> you fucked up. Mm. So I really enjoyed that reaction that Cornelius was still alive. Yeah. Um, but I really hated that they had to die, and I get why. But right. And I I liked uh, the Nova reveal. Can you explain that? So the girl that is found is the human that is going to be in the original film so when you know the when maurice says to her you're nova i i recognized that and that was very fun see that that's interesting because i did not catch that i did not connect the two until you brought it up before we we started recording how did that work for you, knowing that she is supposed to be the character you see in the original film? I always assumed that there were going to be more humans, even though all those humans that were at the battle died. I always assumed there were going to be more humans coming out of the woodwork, just how exactly how Bad Ape came out of the woodwork. Yeah. Um, and that Nova would probably, in her teenage years or preteen, well, she's almost a preteen, would go and join the humans again. Um, and then that's how that would happen. Well, you're, I don't you're, think too hard about it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it sounds like you did, because you're filling in a lot of gaps. I'm very good at that. We just established that. Um, I had a feeling she might be that character, but I wasn't. I, I didn't have any actual evidence to say that, because I didn't know about the name. So yeah. I'm not. I'm kind of mixed on it because it does it, mostly because of the logistics. She's clearly an ally of the apes. Yes. She's you know like Maurice especially, um, yeah. right? So why would she? You know, the next time we see her, she's in the wild. She's being captured. She's like you know, as one character says, cattle. Essentially, yeah. So what the hell? That that part doesn't make sense, and it's kind of like it feels. It's the one element that brings us to the original that feels disjointed. She had too much of a big role in this film. Had she just been a tag along, and that was all she did, I would have believed it more. Maybe. But she had such an important role. Her role is so important in this film because she's bringing Caesar out of his head and helping him remember humanity for what it can be. I, yeah, I, I, I get that. Yeah, at the same time, if that's her purpose, I'm not sure that she was necessary for that purpose because he 
says enough and we've we've seen we've been with him long enough to know that he doesn't need to be reminded of that he flat out says he didn't start this war you know he flat out calls out another ape you know for what is happening you know there's things that he says and there's there's ways that he conveys physically that it's clear that he knows not all humans are bad. Yeah, but in his darkest time, he did forget that briefly. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. But let's let's talk about the uh, really briefly. First of all, you said there was a lot of war in this movie. I actually think this is more of a prison film than a war film. So yeah, I think there's like maybe only like two actual battle scenes in the entire movie tops i just like the effects of war are there mm. which does include imprisonment i guess i find it interesting you say that because i actually feel like wonder woman showed the effects of war way more effective way more than this movie does. well i feel like that showed it on a surface level mm. uh the colonel his motivation did that? What did you think on his about his? That's motivation? an example of what where more writing was needed. Yeah. And that's all I have to say about that because I guess that's that's all I have. Yeah, and his and it's it's weird because his entire motivation seems to be all based on or leaning on what is the one element this trilogy hadn't shown us yet, which is how the humans become mute. I'm not entirely sure I'm sold on their explanation for how humans become mute. I was kind of fine with it. Really? Yeah, I felt like it needed to be another wave of that medication spreading. Then it would have been fine. That virus, sorry. Yeah, the virus, not the medication. Yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't 100% sold on, on that. Especially since, you know, it's been all these years. We're talking 15 years since uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I felt that the role of the donkeys was good. I felt like that donkeys. was like... Donkeys. Remember, they were, they were defectors. Oh, that's uh, a better From Kobe's... Kobe's. Koba's. Uh, which I was surprised to, in the first place, that there were any at all left after how Dawn of the Planet of the Apes ended. You know, after seeing, after all those apes witnessing how ruthless and selfish Koba was actually being. I think it's that whole fear thing. Like, Well, it doesn't make sense. Koba was dead. What would they be? Well, no, they actually did say they, were, uh, they basically made a deal with the human camp to spare their lives, essentially. Yeah. Which is interesting, but yeah, um, there's one particular gorilla that is focused on in this case, but anyway, so that's our discussion of War for the Planet of the Yapes. I feel like at this point, if we go any further, we're just rambling. Uh, What are your thoughts on the film? Have you seen it yet? Write in at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. With that, let's move on to film faves. 2010. So, really briefly, for those who aren't familiar, Film Faves is where we count down our 12 favorite movies of a particular topic. Very often it is a uh, marching through time. 
gives you an idea of what kind of movies Shanna and I independently love, but also hopefully exposes you to films you have yet to see. To that end, we also try to direct you to what streaming services you can find these films. The streaming services we chiefly focus on are Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and HBO Now. A lot of the times, uh, many of our movies are not available on those services, but generally you can find most movies available to rent on Amazon. That said, Shanna, do you want to start off with your list of favorite movies from 2010? Sure. My number 12 is Eat, Pray, Love, starring Julia Roberts. It's the movie that is based on the book Eat, Pray, Love by Elizabeth Gilbert, a journey that a woman takes to figure her life out. Mm -hmm. She travels to three different countries for a whole year. She's kind of divided it equally, and she experiences different ways of renewing herself, re-loving herself, reconnecting with herself. So she starts off in Italy, and she decides that she's going to eat for three months and just eat and enjoy food. The second country she goes to is India, where she prays, tries to connect through meditation and on a spiritual level. And number three is where she ended up falling in love. I don't believe that was her original plan, but that's what happened. And I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Gilbert. And yes, this the book is better. The book is better because the way Elizabeth Gilbert writes is it's a very particular style and it's very humorous and it's very... It'll make every woman understand what, you know, she was going through and she's a very relatable person. The film, I think Julia Roberts did a really good job of acting like Elizabeth Gilbert. If you've seen her in, in person, which I have, I think she did great. Okay. Oh, and that's available for rent. Or you can swing by right. Half Price Books and get it for two bucks. Right. So for my list... I had to retire a couple movies that had already been featured on previous film fave episodes, Kick-Ass and Winter's Bone. That's oh, where... those went off mine too. Oh, awesome. Yeah, you can hear my thoughts on Kick-Ass in our superhero episode and my thoughts on Winter's Bone in our female director's episode. So... First of all, I should also say 2010 was a spectacular year, and it was actually fairly difficult for me to pare down a list of 12 movies because I feel like there's so many movies, not only that were great and I loved, but also a lot of movies that I really liked. So what I did land on is number 12 being Predators. Hmm. This was produced by Robert Rodriguez, who was kind of the perfect guy to try to take on this franchise. And it stars Adrian Brody. Oh, that's right. Right? And uh, several other recognizable faces. But Adrian Brody is one of those where it's like, really? Adrian Brody is, is the Arnold Schwarzenegger of this movie? Oh, that's what they were putting him in? Right? But here's the thing. Okay. Like, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger in the original movie, right? And mm. I feel like Predators is actually the first appropriate direct sequel to Predator. It even references the first film. Oh. Right? But here... You have, in this one, 
You have a guy who's more, he relies on his wits, his cunning. He's not about his strength and his brawn, right? You know, uh, it's not might versus might. It's like a guy who figures out how these things work and, and he's trying to outsmart them. For those who aren't familiar, and if you're a fan of Predator, why aren't you? Uh, <laughs> this film literally drops you right onto a unusual planet. And within, and I'm not going to say any details beyond this, but tw- uh, 20 minutes into the film, the characters realize they are all on a planet. You're where, all fucked. <laughs> right. They're all on a planet where the Predator is kind of like... It's like a game planet so for them. Oh, you know? gotcha. And yeah. they bring different species to this planet oh to hunt. Oh, my gosh, that's hilarious. Right? And so you get more predators, hence the name, and you get, you know, uh, different creatures also. And it's just a lot of fun, and it's really cool, and it's just... Oh, I thought it was a very satisfying ride and the first satisfying Predator film since the 1987 film. Well, so that's good. my number 12. So my number 11 is The Book of Eli and this stars Denzel Washington and as well as Mila Kunis is in oh, it. Oh, really? Oh, it is. So oh. maybe you'll watch it now. Well, now I, I have to follow through. <laughs> I did say I'll watch anything she's in. What's really funny is this is the same year that Black Swan happened, and she was in that oh. too, of course. So it was really two very different films. Now, this Definitely. film I really enjoyed because, you know, post-apocalypse, something has happened that ended the world, and um, Denzel Washington's character is the only character the only person on earth that is carrying what they describe as the last hope for humanity to break away from the powers that be um certain people have taken over the world and of course it's you know it's post-apocalyptic so you've got evil dictators essentially that are having their way with humans and the world and what denzel washington does is he brings a sort of knowledge, a power, power in the form of knowledge to the people to be able to break away from those dictators and, you know, have the courage to do that. So I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the treatment of the film. So the the visual effects I enjoyed. There's this constant green filter on the top half of the image. It's very subtle. And then there's constantly a a sort of cream filter on the bottom of the image. It's, you know, for the people that are technically inclined. That is my number 11. What is yours? My number 11 is the only pick that is actually available to stream on my list. It is Joan Rivers' A Piece of Work. Oh, that was very good. It is available to stream on Netflix. I was not a fan of Joan Rivers before I watched this movie. You know, I grew up being aware of Joan Rivers and all the different things she did throughout her career, especially she being... She worked very hard. Well, I'll get to that. Okay. But she did all these different things in her career, like remarking on what people wore, on, on Oscar night, and, you know, Critique. but also she was a comedian, and I wasn't necessarily sure I was a big fan of her comedy. This film is definitely a glimpse into who this woman is. It was at this uh, point, but she was still 
alive. This isn't a retrospective film by any means. She was still alive and working and working hard. And it gave me a huge appreciation for this person and how hard she worked. Even in, I want to say she was in her 80s, maybe she was in her 70s. But this woman still busted her butt to give multiple multiple stand-up performances. And I found it to be a very insightful, very interesting look at a performer's, a particular performer's life, both past and present. And, you know, Joan Rivers has since passed. I think she passed away four years after this movie. Came oh, about, I think I think it's been about that long. I think it's a really good way to remember her and to even ex- learn a little bit about her. So yeah, Joan Rivers, a piece of work. If you have not seen it, do check it out on Netflix. It's a great film to watch if you're an entrepreneur, especially and you're kind of going through one mm. of those dips and mm. you need to just have a a realization yeah. of you're you're not the only one. And, and here's an example of, of years of work. Yeah. What it looks like. Absolutely. So my number 10 is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I thought this was a hilarious film. I thought there were so many jokes in it. And I felt like the visual effects were super fun. And for anyone that's geeky, this is a thoroughly enjoyable film. That's all you thought about it? Well, I mean, I didn't know that it was a comic book. Because, again, this is me living in South Africa at this time. And I just wasn't aware. So oh. when it came, I just thought it was this fantastic piece of artwork. And <laughs> it already existed. So what is your number 10? My number 10 is Danny Boyle's 127 Hours. I thought you were going to say 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> no, although that would be interesting from Danny Boyle. That would be so funny. This is the real-life story starring James Franco about Aaron Ralston, who went hiking one day and ended up getting stuck between a rock and a hard place, literally. Because that's what happens when you have a big ego. Well, he, he was a little cocky, as the, show, as the movie demonstrates. Uh, but what's more importantly, this, this is pretty much a one-man show. And between Danny Boyle's direction... James Franco's performance, and it might be a career best performance by James Franco. It was very good. And the editing, the editing is so good. This is a very kinetic, interesting, and far from. It's not what you think it's going to be. Far from miserable yeah. experience. And it, it ends up being a very life affirming experience. So I really appreciate that film, and it's probably. I'm on my three favorite Danny Boyle films. That's 127 hours. So my number nine is Tron Legacy by Disney. With Daft Punk, you know, doing the score. That's a great score. To the film. Oh my God. I listened to that on my way to wherever I'm traveling and I feel like I'm on fire. I feel like <laughs> I doesn't, it doesn't matter if, well, if we hit slow down traffic, then I switch it off because there's no point. But <laughs> it doesn't make the, the traffic jam any more interesting. It doesn't make me feel like I'm flying. So <laughs> it's a downer. I really enjoyed this film. I am a huge fan of Jeff Bridges. So that was just 
fantastic. And then Garrett Hedlund, and that was really awesome, and I loved the visual effects, and I had never seen the original Tron because it didn't come to South Africa. Or you still it... haven't seen the original No, Tron? I still haven't. <gasps> I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not a great movie, but to go into Tron Legacy, having never seen the original Tron, is a little off. Oh, as I've said previously, I'm so good at filling in the gaps. So I, I think my favorite part of it is just seeing a different world and then the soundtrack. School. Olivia Wilde was really cool in it too, and I really wish that we saw more performances like that from her. Mm. For me, number nine is True Grit by the Cohen Brothers. Oh, I forgot about that. Speaking of Jeff Bridges, I feel like this Jeff is Bridges! <laughs> this is his. Mm, I don't want to say I don't want to be flippant and say this is his good performance, but this is his his better film of the year. By far. I actually feel like the Coen brothers end up surpassing the original John Wayne film. And a lot of it is due to Haley Steinfeld, who gets introduced in this movie, and her version of Maddie Ross, which is a spectacular female character. Whereas in the original, I found her to be a little bit annoying. And then... Anytime Matt Damon is acting a buffoon, as is always good, and he definitely oh, is not yeah. shy about that. Matt Damon was in there. That was fun. That's right. This is a vi- also the the cinematography in this film is just stunning. There's a lot of shots that are looking up from the ground at and you have this big huge sky and something will come into view or you have these big valley long shots and it's it's a beautiful beautiful looking film and a really great version of of that story and probably one of my favorite coen brothers movies hands down has she been in anything else since then what are you kidding me yeah she's been in a lot of things just last year she launched a music career and starred in the film edge of 17 Oh. Which I, we haven't seen yet. I really wish we could see that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my number eight is Made in Dagenham. And oh. I'm not really sure if that's how you pronounce it. It's England, so I'm pretty sure it's not Dagenham. So I really loved the story. It's of women who are fighting for equal pay, who are working for the Ford company, and they're doing the stitching specifically so really high skilled work really important work and it's just this constant back and forth of oh you're you're not skilled enough and we're not going to pay you and there's one line that has always stuck with me where she is fighting for this right and her husband doesn't mind but he's not really supportive either and it gets to a point where her family starts to be threatened. You know, it gets, that, it gets to that breaking point. And he says, I've never done anything to harm you guys. I don't, even, I don't even hit you. And she looks at him and she says, in what world, essentially she says, in what world would it be okay to hit me? It's not okay at all. I, am I supposed to be grateful that you don't hit me? you should be supporting me, essentially. And I just thought that was a really great realization. 
So it's, it takes place around the, the, what is it, the women's lib uh, movement. I don't really know when that was happening in England. I, I don't know if it was different timing. Interesting. I have not seen that, so that's a very cool pick. My number eight is Black Swan by Darren Aronofsky, starring Natalie Portman and... Mila Kunis. I think this is one of Darren Aronofsky's best films. I think it's also one of, if not the best performance by Natalie Portman. It is a great film. It is just rich with the whole parallels with the, the, the ballet of the, what is it, Swan Lake and and what, what the character's journey is, and it's visually intriguing, and, you know, Darinovsky is not a guy who has weak performances in his film. He brings out great performances. Mm, I was going to say know? that, too. And all of them are fantastic. This is a really interesting psychological thriller it's an interesting fil- uh, uh, story about obsession and the need for perf- to be perfect and the psychological damage de- yes <laughs> yeah, I was going to say detriment but yes damage that comes with that and it has an unreliable narrator through Natalie Portman's characters just a fascinating film I'm always second guessing that. that film hmm. so my number seven is Black Swan Oh, really? So I'm always second guessing what's actually going on. Every time I watch it, I think I form a different opinion of what's real and what isn't. And um, I just really love that film for all the reasons you've just listed. So I I know what it's like being in the dancer world. Mm. I didn't get very far, but I do have a lot of friends who are in the dance world and it's a lot of work. It's not easy work. It really isn't. I mean, sometimes I feel like nanny work isn't easy, but then I think of a ballet dancer. So whatever your career is, think of a ballet dancer, and it'll put it in perspective for you. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly if you've seen this movie. And I loved the Mila Kunis performance. I love Natalie Portman. I love the two of them. I love seeing the two of them together. Oh, oh we all do. I'm not talking about in the pink room. Okay? <laughs> I'm talking about everywhere else. <laughs> but I felt like that was also really great. And oh, wasn't it just so cool? Because Natalie Portman is this completely sheltered and controlled by her mother character. And then when she's finally trying to break out, it's just shit all over the place. Yeah, I don't know about cool, but it is definitely is definitely an intriguing film by far. So, following yeah. that is the Social Network. I see. Which I think is not only the year's best film, but one of the decade's best films. And David Fincher has brought us a lot of great films, but I feel like this is his masterpiece. And Jesse Eisenberg is a stroke of genius in his version of Mark Zuckerberg. He's a very good actor. I don't think he's ever been better in his 
ability to convey a guy who's just so caught up in his genius that he's not able to he doesn't he's to put it simply for a lot of people he's he is a less comedic version of sheldon in the big bane theory (laughs) you know he just does not get social cues Mm. and he has no filter he's not trying to be an asshole he well, he's just not really trying is. to be nice either. You know, I, I, I feel I feel like he just it's it's this personality he he has, and I find it brilliant. But not only that, but this is a movie that, in very subtle, uh, nuanced ways, really sort of highlight how important the nerds and the geeks have become in our culture. Oh god, it's total uprising. To the point where now they have taken over our ability to socialize. Think about how life is different now because of Facebook. You get to know people differently, especially in your 20s, right? All these things that you used to, that used to be a mystery that you would learn through conversation and dates. All you have to do is <laughs> click a button and you can see all these details, all these past experiences they've had, how old they are, what, what things they like, what are their favorites, you know, all these different things. All because a geek imagined it, right? And it's... It's a huge impact on our lives now, right? You know, it, it's, it would be an interesting double feature watching, like, this and Steve Jobs in whatever order you choose. Ooh. You know, and, then, and then the first season of Big Bang Theory. Well, no, I'm saying, like, <laughs> Steve Jobs is, is, or Mark Zuckerberg is equally as influential on our day-to-day lives as Steve Jobs is. While I don't think the film Steve Jobs... Which, was that also a David Fincher movie? I can't quite remember off the top of my head. I don't think it was as successful as the social uh, Mm. network was. I have to give a quick shout out to Trent Reznor and I think it's Atticus Ross. Their score is incredible. That was the only thing I liked about this film. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna blow right through that because I did I did not say a thing about Eat Pray Love, my friend. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, you would think that it would be higher on this list, but there are there are more films that I, if I were given a choice, I would gravitate to first. But this is a great film and i think the only film i ever scored a 10 out of 10 on the gibson review mm. so there you go so my number six is shutter island it's starring leonardo dicaprio it's a psychological thriller at first you think maybe this is going to be a horror film but it's not because it does take place in a hospital a mental hospital in i don't right. know maybe the 1940s 50s somewhere around there something like that i can't remember the visual effects were fantastic i loved the cinematography i loved the uh the thrill of it it's one of my favorite and you guys know i don't like horror 
There's maybe one or two like jump scares, but it also doesn't that try to keep you guessing till the end. It does end keep or something? you guessing till the end, so you and, think you're gonna get it, but you don't. And wasn't Mark Ruffalo in that movie too? <gasps> yes, he is. Okay. Such a handsome man, such a gift. So yeah, and Michelle Williams is has a supporting role in that too, if I remember correctly. Too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. really good. I, I love the twist at the end, hmm. and that's all I'm gonna say. I highly recommend that one. Well, my next film is Easy A, starring Emma Stone. Oh my god, I love that film. The film that made Emma Stone a star. I was first made aware of her in Superbad. She was one of the girls that the boys were trying to get to. And she's one of those where you're like, yeah, I totally get why they want to date her. You know, she kind of stood out in that film. And here you have Emma Stone. Proving her as the real deal, at the very least as a comedic actress. Uh, she's hilarious in this movie. Stanley Tucci and Patricia Richardson. Oh, also I love them hilarious so much. in this Best movie. Best parents in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's very clever. It's witty. Uh, but it also has a really good script. It has a really good story. I thought it was a very good story mm-hmm. and a very tight piece of work. I would go so far as to say this is easily one of the 10 best teen films ever made oh god yes it's that good it's that well done Mm -hmm. so yeah easy a my number five is tangled by disney i really enjoyed the music in this it's by alan menken and he is my favorite in the whole wide world of disney there are songs in that movie yes there is I didn't remember. I don't remember. Carry on. (laughs) My brain just short-circuited because some of those songs are really my favorite. I've Got a Dream, where everybody starts relating to each other in the bar. Or I don't think it's really a bar because it's Disney. So the the lookalike bar, whatever the hell that thing is. And I really enjoyed the animation of her hair. I did not go and see this in the cinema. I thought it was going to be crap. And then all of a sudden, my brother came home with it, and it was on Blu-ray. And it was just when we were starting to buy Blu-rays. So it was a really great experience for me to watch. And I just thought it was really beautiful and just a really pretty piece of animation. How do you feel about the TV series? I've only watched a part of an episode. Mm-hmm. And I, there's a reason I've only watched a part. I just want it to all be ready, and then I'll just blow through it and then see how I feel. Mm. Okay. I, I like the animation that they're the illustration style they're using. Um, that's really pretty. Hmm. But I can't say enough about. I I don't have enough information. Yeah, you. and that animation style is different from the the film. What is your number five? Scott Pilgrim versus the World. It is greatly unfortunate that this movie came out against The Expendables because, unfortunately, that piece of garbage destroyed Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in the theaters. And I strongly feel this film is the better one of the two. This is a movie that, metaphorically, is about so many things about relationships at a particular time in your life and the awkwardness of of you know running into an ex you know you want to just avoid you know it's about 
it's about growing up in a certain way, realizing that sometimes it's not always the other person's fault that you broke up. You know, it's, it's they're not always the the one that's the problem. Sometimes it, it's you. <laughs> right. That, I feel like, is some of the, the nature of things that this film is getting at underneath all the amazing geek references, the video game references, the visuals. It, we should mention this is by Edgar Wright, who previously had done Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Oh, that all makes perfect sense. Right, and I I think this, I think, unless I'm forgetting something, I think this is my second favorite Edgar Wright movie of everything that he's done so far. Michael Sarah does, I think he's a little underrated in his performance here. Um, but you also have little really hilarious winking elements, like Chris Evans playing this hothead, you know, <laughs> and he previously was the Human Torch, you know, you, now. Have, you have Brandon Rouse, who previously played Superman, and in this film, he oh plays God, this really vegan super, you know, this uberman, you know, Mae Whitman, who I didn't even recognize at the time, she's a little girl in Independence Day, she's in this movie. You eventually see her after that in the Parenthood TV series. Brie Larson? Oh, is in I it? love Brie Larson. Yeah, and previously mentioned Allison Pill from Pieces of April's in this film. So it's, it's a solid cast. It's a lot of fun, and it's got something going on underneath all the surface that uh, I think it's, it's really worth chewing on. So Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. My number four is How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, that's my number four. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> what? We're so meant to be together. Uh, anyway, um, I guess we can talk about it together. I really enjoyed this film. I had no idea it was a book. Mm. Yeah, again, I wasn't the, familiar with the books. Again, either. the books didn't come to South Africa at that time. Mm. And what a great story. Mm. Such a great story. Such a great series. Mm. I think, well, it's only been two films so far as far as the series goes, but... I do think this is DreamWorks' best film. You know, yes. They, they, and they Horton, here's a who. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> Come on And now. Horton, here's Just, a who. They like to think that Shrek is their crown jewel. No, it's not. This is their crown jewel. It is an amazing experience. I, did you see this in 3D? Oh, no. I don't believe we had a 3D theater at the Holy time. shit. For those who did see this in 3D, they were lucky. Because it was like... When there's that flight sequence, that first flight sequence, it was like when they were going down, you were taking that ride going down. Oh, so maybe IMAX would be good for this too. I don't know if it was an IMAX, but it was amazing. I mean, also, come on, John Powell's score? I was going to say... Every time I just say How to Train Your Dragon, the score immediately comes into my head mm. and starts playing. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a fantastic score. It's, it's probably so the good. best scores for an animated film in, I don't know, 20 years. Easily. I mean, it's one of those things like the sequence when oh. Hiccup 
is uh, trying to draw out Toothless and the score that's going on with that montage, it's actually quite stirring. Well, it's really funny that you're mentioning that because your son and I listened to a couple of How to Train Your Dragon songs, but I've interspersed them between other pieces of music from films. Okay. And every time a How to Train Your Dragon song came on, he knew exactly what was happening in the movie at that time. Mm. So it just shows how good that music was. Absolutely. But the rest of the film is great, too. Well, I love the story. Mm-hmm. I love the story. And I love I love the story. And I love how the relationships are. It's yeah. one of the more the real. The father-son relationship, especially, mm-hmm. is, is really great. And it does something. If you haven't seen the movie, I won't say what it is but it does something at the end of the movie that was actually a little surprising and you do not see happen to characters main characters very often and so that's a comeback for that but that would be a spoiler anyway i and i love the relationship with astrid that's what i want my children seeing respectful relationships with the opposite yeah she's great anyone she's a great character played by america ferrera she, yeah, she's one of the best. Oh, it's by America. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, okay. th- that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. My number three is Inception. Okay. Just such a stunning film. Again, same thing with the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, I know exactly what's happening in the movie just by listening to a track. Mm-hmm. I love the visual effects. I love the creativity. I love the originality. I love that Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Leonardo DiCaprio... And, 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 they're all in there. I'm sure you'll name some other people later. Well, Tom Hardy. Okay, there you go. I, I mean, come on, Tom Hardy. This is what introduced the world to Tom Hardy, who later would go into be Mad Max. I And Bane. I really love this film. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to watch it again. <laughs> My number three is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 1. Of course. I don't. So this is the 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 thing that is the the calm before the storm, so to speak. And in a way, the Half Blood Prince was was this too, uh, because that is very much all about setting up Deathly Hollows. But you know, you have our main heroes, Hermione, Ron, and Harry on the run. You have uh, this incredibly dark and almost almost hopeless period happening where you hear on radio different wizards who've been killed you know everything that was in the first film is no more or is being completely taken over by Voldemort I if it's it's great. It's great. I love it. It's a fantastic first half of a movie. If you heard my previous episode, you'd know my feelings on the second half of this film. I'll say no more. My number two is Easy A. This is really? one of my absolute favorite films. I love all the actors and actresses that are in this film. I love the premise of this good girl, this down-to-earth girl, who gives in which happens with friends. You give into the friend's idea of something that happened and how that can, if heard incorrectly, can run in a very bad direction for you. And then you have to kind of fix it. And 
I felt like it was an original film in that, even though it's in the teenage genre, I haven't seen a character like this, a strong character. Mm. This is like going to be one of the first films I show my like 13 year old daughter. And I love Emma Stone. She's just so freaking hilarious. Yeah. Anything, anything she says, anything she looks at, anything she does, any expression she makes, I just pack out laughing. Yeah, she's a great comedic actress, especially with her face. She's, yeah, awesome. Wow. My number two is Toy Story 3, which is one of the best number threes, end of a trilogy, whatever, however you want to put it that I have ever seen. Now that's an example of a tight finish for the end of a trilogy. Yes. Absolutely. There's nothing unsatisfying or disappointing about this film whatsoever. It's hilarious. It is fun. It's exciting. It's thrilling. There's it'll put you on the edge of your seat. But most importantly, it <laughs> will just bring you to tears. Okay, everybody talks about the incinerator scene. Mm-hmm. And that is remarkable. It it's takes a beautiful scene. You know, I found one of the things in, uh, impressive about Toy Story 2, the elevator shaft scene where Buzz and <laughs> and uh, Zord they fighting, right? Because you you kind of have like this this intensity, but then you realize they're just toys, you know? Well, Toy Story 3 kind of takes that mm. to in the extreme. You're affected because it's all the characters, and you care about these characters as though they were people. Mm. And the way they all just they just accept their fate in that moment is incredibly moving. And then you have the, the very end of this movie, if that incinerator scene didn't destroy you, the very end will destroy you. Oh, God, that did destroy me. I want to cry now. incredibly moving, and it pisses me off that there's a Forest Toy Story movie coming on because this is a perfect way to end our time with these characters. So Toy Story 3 is my second favorite movie of 2010. <laughs> We're both kind of like choking up right now. <laughs> like glossy eyes happening. <laughs> yeah. My number one is Toy Story 3. You know, my brother and I are only three years apart. And so technically those were the movies that he grew up with. But I feel like on some level I grew up with them too. I didn't, at first, I didn't like the first Toy Story it just wasn't my favorite. You. It was just the phase of life I was in. I think I hit puberty or something. You know, that happened. You've come around since then. So, you know, when number three came out, I was like, oh my God, this is such an amazing masterpiece. And I watched it on repeat over and over again. And I felt like the addition of the new characters was so cool. Disney is like coveted items for me. And when I found out there was a Disney store opening in a week's time. You had to get that Kindle. Oh my God. God, I didn't see him, but (laughs) I had to get Dolly and I had to get the three peas and I had to get Trixie and I had to, I just had to uh, prickle pants. I just had to have all of them. And it was just so exciting. And I love that they got permission, the okay to include Totoro in the bedroom. Mm, That's a, that's a subtle thing. Yeah. And I just... I really, really love that film so goddamn much. 
so I highly recommend that trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I did bawl my eyes out, but mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a fourth one, so now I won't have to bawl my eyes out so much. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'll just be annoyed. My favorite film of the year is Inception, which may be my favorite Christopher Nolan film. Oh, I agree. May it, it might be a very close second to Dark Knight at any rate. What is there to say about this film? It's one of those original concepts uh, that now is becomes a verb. People say... You know, whenever they have this weird dream within a dream experience, they say, oh, it's like Inception, or you've been Inception, or whatever, you know. It's got, you're absolutely right, the score. I mean, it will make any trip to the grocery store the most thrilling trip to the grocery store you've ever had. That's two amazing, thrilling soundtracks. Yeah, that's Hans Zimmer, (laughs) by the way, who did that score. Oh, he did a great job with that. Yeah, what's what's Marion Cotillard? I think this might have been my first oh, yeah. Marion Cotillard film. I'm not sure, but she's incredible in the film as a, a particular supporting character. That's kind of an antagonist in the film. There's there's a lot to this film that is quite spectacular. It's an interesting take on the heist film. It does one of the things you have to give it credit for is for such a complex idea mm. it communicates very clearly in its second half where everybody is and what is going on and so the editing and the direction needs some serious kudos to be able to make it very clear for everybody without trying to pander to anyone at the same time a spectacular film Absolutely. It's my favorite film of 2010. Mm. What are your favorite films of 2010? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Yes, let us know. Yes, we'd be very curious. And that'll about do it for this episode. We love talking to you. Stay tuned for information on our next episode. In the meantime, Shanna... Where you find where will people find you on the internet? You can go to my webpage where you'll find all my various social media channels at www.shannapaxton.com S H A N N A P A X T O N. Awesome. You can find me at thegibsonreview.com where you'll find several uh, past reviews and lists. You can find me on Facebook at the Gibson Review, where you'll find several mini-reviews and third-party links. You'll also be able to find me on Flickchart at the Gibson 99 and email us always any feedback at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. But most especially, subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a review. What do you like? Give us some constructive feedback. Be kind. We do appreciate kind, constructive feedback. Thank you very much. Next time, I think we might be reviewing Atomic Blondes. Oh my god, yes. Starring Charlize Theron. Woohoo! Go South Africa! (laughs) Uh, This is a movie that we've seen the trailer a couple times in the theaters, and at this point, I think we just want to see the movie. I have that song that's in that trailer. 
Yeah, that's uh, stuck in my head. What the Pesh Mode song, Personal yes. Jesus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that'll be exciting. <laughs> so look for that in two weeks. Until then, this is Jeff. And this is Shanna. Signing out. Keep loving the movies. Bye-bye. Is it Hester Blumenthal? What? Hester Blumenthal? Who the hell is that? I don't know. It must be someone. Charlton Heston? Thank you. Just <laughs> cut that off. Hester Blumenthal? Cut that part oh, off. No, we're keeping that in. No, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. I will stop podcasting with you. You cut that out. Go ahead. Anyway.